Here we go. I have fellow social, I'm not really a social worker yet, but she definitely is. <laughs> Um, Courtney Porter here. Hi, Courtney Porter. Hey, how are you, Matt? I'm doing good. You are so on your way to being a phenomenal social worker. Well, person. when I finally get that damn piece of paper. <laughs> That's all right. You're already doing the work. The yes. paperwork is just a formality. I know, right? Um, so I, ha I brought her on here to talk about a variety of uh, topics. I, when I bring a new person on, I like to start with, you know, your story, you know, yeah. your education, your, why you went into the, why you went into the field you went into. So why don't you start from there so uh, this is my 20th year as an educator I started as a preschool and kindergarten teacher in Alstead New Hampshire back in 2000 uh, at the Orchard School which is a I phenomenal was six years old in 2000 <laughs> you're making me feel really old <laughs> um, so uh, my children had gone to the Orchard School it's a cute little uh, progressive school set on an organic farm um, and was really all about how are you connecting children with nature yeah. and looking at this holistic approach to education. And I just loved the education that my children received. So I actually started at Keene State and mm -hmm. uh, eventually earned my bachelor's degree in early childhood education. So I worked 13 years as an early childhood educator. I worked in Vermont in the Northeast Kingdom as the education and disabilities manager okay. for Head Start and early Head Start. Okay. And so that program is really all about how are you helping families who are in need and might be experiencing poverty or just oh, yeah. other life struggles. And it was through my role in the Northeast Kingdom in Head Start that I really started to feel this need to do more for students. Yep. And so in 2013, I moved back here to Claremont, my hometown. Yep. I was Born and raised. A, a graduate of Stevens High School, class of 93. Ooh. Woo Go Cardinals. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was originally offered a kindergarten position at a neighboring school. And so I was all set to go be a kindergarten teacher, but I also saw this ad in the newspaper back when that's where people mm -hmm. start job applications right um for a school social worker and i thought well you know what i'm just gonna give it a shot mm -hmm. and at that time elaine arbor was our assistant superintendent mm -hmm. and she was phenomenal so i interviewed with her and she definitely thought that my experience with head start and looking at the ways that i was using education as a tool to help students mm -hmm. and families kind of better their lives mm -hmm. she felt that it would be a great fit and one of the first things she said to me was uh, would you be willing to help write this job description <laughs> because <laughs> wow. you know, so that was you know eight years ago yeah. now and at that time school social workers like there weren't really any around here right, right. and so it wasn't it was, really a thing yet right it wasn't and so what really what Elaine was doing was setting this district up to be able to provide some phenomenal supports that I, I look back now and I'm like, this has been such a, a great last, you know, eight years worth mm -hmm. of a journey of, mm -hmm. you know, struggles. And I have the teachers who back then were like, why are you here? And, right. and what are you doing? And right. I would be like, well, I'm not sure. We're all figuring that out together. Right. And <laughs> right. So you kind of like the connection, a social worker, kind of like the connection between home and school. You yeah. Know what so I mean? what really we like to say as school social workers is that we remove barriers to accessing education. Yeah, there we go. So that might be, it could be for families who are having struggles with housing, yeah. with transportation, with employment, with clothing, with mm -hmm. food, with mental health, with physical health. And mm -hmm. we know that when kids aren't able to really 
connect to all of those things that are on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? At that yeah. basic level, then learning isn't going to happen. Because right. if you're worried about, I don't know where I'm going to be sleeping tonight, yeah. or my mom and dad are really struggling with things that are outside of my realm, yeah. but it's really is trickling down to me. And so a school social worker looks at the holistic approach to education and how can we not only provide the academic supports right. but the social emotional supports that right. students need right because without that social emotional support there's no learning that exactly. that happens because um so i had a podcast with with Paige. Uh, oh Paige McKay. yeah and we talked yeah love Paige. she's my partner in crime yeah definitely <laughs> we talked about uh, aces and, and yep. trauma and stuff and about how you know if um, and you could probably speak to this too. If your if your brain is constantly in survival mode and your amygdala is constantly firing all the time, um, it's kind of hard to be able to learn things, isn't it? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> so, in pretty much any training that I do now includes you know the the adverse childhood experiences yeah. study, which was phenomenal. You know, out of Chicago back you know back in the it was like ninety seven maybe is when it first came out. Yeah. Um, but we learned so much about what the right. aces mean, and and you, if you have four or more aces, you're so much more likely to have a teen pregnancy or to be a smoker right. or to be an alcoholic. Right. And so when we're thinking about how are we preparing our students to learn, if they are dealing with the uh, exponential number of ACEs, then learning just isn't going to happen. Right. So we need right. to be able to recognize that our duty is to support their mental health so that we can support their academic health. Yeah. Um, so... God, there's just so many things. <laughs> um, um, what what can you see when you like? And I we're obviously not going to talk about specific people mm -hmm. or anything. But in a in a sense, when you go to because I do home visits too, I do respite and child and yeah. home support. And when you go when you go to these places that these houses in these homes that everyone's malnourished, everybody is constantly stressed out, and you know. Um, constantly stressed out we don't they don't know where they're they're going to get their next meal or any any of those following things can you just speak to how how is it possible for that kid to even like be able to flourish and like be able to have a successful you know how how hard is it so i mean and certainly now with COVID, things are a little bit different you know home yeah, visits are really more about kind of those non-contact you know standing at the porch standing in the driveway yeah sitting at picnic tables kind of being apart from each other but in the past eight years i've done hundreds of home visits and yeah. you know one of the first things that i always tell family is number one i'm not the clean house police right I'm, I'm not coming into your home to to say anything about what you've got going on right and i think that's one that's a great <laughs> point because one thing that they need is a non-judgmental mm -hmm. person because they're they're probably used to when their mindset constantly being judged well, and for a lot of people, too, because the role is still, I mean, even though I've been here for eight years, the role is still really new. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they might think, oh, my gosh, you're a school social worker. That means you're DCYF and you're going to take my kids away. Right, right. Or, you know, they just go. Survival through. mode. It's, well, and that's just it. And yeah. When you're constantly like, okay, the yeah. thing I care about the most is not losing my house or my car or my kids. Yeah. And someone calls and says, hi, I'm the school social worker. I want to come see right, you. Right, right. Um, <laughs> But so, and another great thing about being just a, a local yokel, if you will, is that I have amazing connections with Suzanne Carr at City Welfare and Beth Daniels at Southwest Community Services, um, Amanda Mace at Turning Points, the folks at TLC. And so when I'm going into a home and there are layers and layers of, of trauma and just life stressors, I just start to kind of whittle away at what are the first things 
that we can tackle that don't require a lot of effort because sometimes right. when you're faced with so many things you don't want to approach any of them because right. it just feels so overwhelming right and I, one of the problems i run into as somebody who's been doing this for two years and not 20 or however <laughs> long um three years two years something like that um when i made the switch from factory work to social work mm -hmm. and, um and they you know they almost when you go into a house and you're like their help you know and they there's almost that to oh you're gonna like solve every problem you're gonna like be there for me no matter what and obviously as one social worker who's aiding not to, not just one family but several families yep. that's obviously not possible right so it's yeah. hard it's hard do you have problems with like burnout and stuff like that? Oh, without a doubt. Oh my gosh. I yeah. mean, and I think as social workers, we're the worst at self-care. Absolutely. It's one of those things where we get into this profession because we want to help people. Right. That's why. I, and you, oftentimes we put everyone else's needs above our own. Of course. Of course. <laughs> and that's why, you know, you need, you know, spouses or partners or, you know, people in your life who can say, hey, how about you shut that phone off? Why don't yeah. you shut your computer? Right. Um, but I think it's important. Harder than it looks. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things as... I'm a social worker. I'm a part of the New Hampshire School Social Workers Association, and mm -hmm. we often rely on each other for that kind of stuff yeah. because nobody else kind of gets the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And something that I often tell people is that social workers see things they can't unsee. We hear things we yep. can't unhear, and we know things that we can't unknow. And a lot of the times, you can't even you can't talk about those things. You can't, and that's just it. actually just most of the ninety nine nine percent of the time you can't. So you're so, carrying around this stuff. So right. not only do we all have our own personal stuff when you work with families who all day long it's stuff 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 it, it starts to mm -hmm. pile up on you and mm -hmm. you know there are days when you know my kids when they were still in school and I was doing this work and I would come home and I would just be so angry about yeah. little things and they're like I do that to Mimi sometimes <laughs> they would get it they'd be like mom had a rough day yeah we're just gonna back off right because they know that I couldn't sit there and tell them what was going on but they also know that I wear my heart on my sleeve and yeah. it's one of those things where I it's not a it's not a nine to five job like no. we don't get to work and we're like okay I'm gonna do my job and then right. at the end of the day I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna shut it off that's not how it works um, it's, it's incredibly it works. hard I have, I have I have families that I'm support mentor for who are messaging me weekend nighttime like well, I coach football too and it's mm -hmm. like they're at, I have to it got to the point where I would have to shut my phone off during yeah. football practice because you know I'd have m people messaging me and asking when are you coming again and it's like so um so especially when you the balance is definitely is definitely hard especially when you i mean let's be honest we live in a low-income community yep. and um there's a lot of pain here i think and um so and people are constantly you know just want someone to be there for them or someone to, ha to help or you know, maybe they and i mean coming in says maybe they don't want it like i don't I, it depends it every every person every person's different but um yeah, it's just a lot of different dynamics. It's, it really is. <laughs> it's about building relationships. One of yeah. the, the first and foremost important things of social work is building relationships. Yeah, man. I had, uh, years ago, I was working with a family from one of our elementary schools, and I was really trying to connect with mom, and she wouldn't answer my phone call, so I started mm -hmm. doing some home visits. I would knock on the door, and, you know, you can kind of tell. I could hear a dog in there. I could tell someone telling the dog to shush, and I, like, knew she was there and didn't want to come to the door. Yeah. So I would leave a letter. And then I would keep going back yeah. and keep going back. And then it got to the point where one day she was kind of peeked her head out. 
And after, I don't know how many home visits, probably at least a half a dozen, she actually opened the door and was willing to talk to me. But it was all about wanting to build that level of trust. Right. Because when we're working with families who you're asking them to talk about their financial situation and their housing situation and potential mental health stuff that is so mental. incredibly personal. It is. It and is. so if you're already struggling and there's a stranger who comes, me, my crazy hair and my bubbly right. personality, they're like, who is, is this, this wacky person? woman and yeah. why is she at my house? Yeah. Um, um, but you just keep going back and you keep going back. And there are some people who will put up a wall and say, no, thank you. And then you're respectful of that. Mm -hmm. But I think you can kind of get to know, like, I'm going to go at this really slowly because mm -hmm. I'm going to win you over. Mm -hmm. So one of the, one of the reasons that, like, I dip into politics mm -hmm. is, uh, first off, social work is political work. In it sure my, is. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know, I, I'll tread lightly here because I don't want to really get into too much. <laughs> yeah. I have other podcasts for politics. Yes. So, but it's connected though. It sure is. All, it's all about social justice. Yeah. And so much of social justice is driven by politics. Yeah. So that's why it's connected. And, um, you know, and at the, the bottom line is, is that it's our school boards and our city councils and our legislators and our Congress that are deciding how many social workers we have, what they get paid. If and I think one of the you know we're because it's a new it's a newer type of concept. Um, we're still fighting for social work to be ingrained in our system. You know. Oh, without a doubt. So when you think about when you walk into a school, you know that you're always going to have a school counselor. There's a pretty right. good chance that there'll be a school psychologist somewhere. But when you think about a school social worker, it's not something where people are like, oh, of course we have a school social right. worker. And so oftentimes when I am introducing myself to people, they kind of give me this, oh, really? What do you do? So school social work is something that needs to be promoted much more than it is. I think social work in general. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. I think it belongs in schools, but it belongs everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that we're finding, you know, so there is the New Hampshire School Social Workers Association, which is a, um, a state affiliate member of SWA, which is the School Social Workers Association of America. So we have a lot of really great mm -hmm. supports that come out of that. Mm -hmm. There is a lobbyist who works for the national organization who really does get out there mm -hmm. and is trying to make sure that the social justice mm -hmm. um, planks are, are what the legislators are looking right. at and are really voting on. Um, but then here in New Hampshire, we're, we're slowly growing, you know, years yeah. ago when I first started and I would go to meetings, um, over in Concord, there'd be, you know, maybe six or seven of us. And mm -hmm. just last week we had our first New Hampshire school social workers meeting of the year. Mm -hmm. We did it virtually and there was like 17 school social workers right. on the call and it was phenomenal. We, I was because social work, it really, it, it, it covers a lots of different um areas it covers you know the systemic poverty mm -hmm. issue you know we we help address that issue housing you know we um we resources in general um income and wealth inequality you know we're lower income families you know so it, it really is a broad um it's a it's a broad slate of things that social workers do, you know. Without a doubt. So like you could be here in Claremont and teach seventh grade math and move to Manchester and teach seventh grade math. Right. Pretty seamlessly. Right. But if you're a social worker here in Claremont, New Hampshire, and then you go and move to Manchester, New Hampshire to be a social worker, while you're still gonna have that skill set, there's gonna be so many other 
cultural competencies within those communities that you yeah. need to learn and that you really need to acclimate yourself to yeah. because you want to make sure that you're meeting folks where they're at. Right. Cause you, and you're not just teaching math. You're right. You yeah. know, not that like I could never be a math teacher, yeah. oh, but, gosh, no, me <laughs> but, but like it, it's not just that one thing. Like right. you're dealing with so many different school dynamic, home dynamic, mm-hmm. like it is. And those are different. Like a lot of times, you, a kid that you see at school will be act very differently when they're at home. You know, yeah. they have almost some kids almost have different personalities when they're at school versus when they're at home. So it's like trying to figure out how to navigate through all those things. And it, it can be very, very difficult. Well, and I think the part of it too, again, you know, to bring it back, you talked about the politics of social work yep. and stuff, and it really is about the buy-in that school social workers are getting from their, from their supervisory union mm-hmm. and the superintendent's yep. office. Um, and again, you know, Elaine Arbor was phenomenal and had such a great foresight in bringing my position in. Dr. McGoodwin was right on board, Corey LeClaire. Yeah. And now that we've got Mike Tempesta and Donna Magoon at the superintendent's office, they're both um, incredibly dedicated to not only promoting the work of school social work, but also just the general me mental health yeah. of our district. And yeah. they recognize that it's the role of the school social worker who really works as that liaison to yep. help make the connection between school and home and community. Let's talk about mental health for a second, because mm-hmm. I think that's another thing that, you know, it, it's getting better and it's always been there because there's more, I think there's more awareness about it now, but, um, it's in a lot of cases, it's still not viewed the same as like a broken arm or, or f- your physical, physical health. Um, so, well, so, and sometimes I think, you know, if you, again, like I said, we, you know, with the broken arm and whatnot, like something below the neck, if you, you break anything below there, yeah, it's like, let's get you in, we'll get you right. fixed. We're going to give you all this care. But right. if something happens mentally up in right. your brain, they're like, oh, are you sure you need the help? Right. And unfortunately there's still a stigma where people yep. don't feel comfortable saying, you know what? I have depression. Yeah. I have anxiety. Um, I As have, someone who has those things. Yes. <laughs> becomes difficult because you're looked upon like well how come you're not strong enough yeah you know no one says how come you're not strong enough to mend that broken yeah exactly bone? exactly you're broken <laughs> arm why aren't you strong and why, why could you put you? that back together yes, exactly <laughs> and it should be viewed the same thing because it is mm-hmm. this it is the same thing it is. and i think we're getting there um certainly but like i think we have a long way to go too because it's still not viewed as the same thing and pe- the fact of the matter is is that People's, there's a lot of people out there um, that don't get the mental health care that they should have still. There's a lot of people out there that um, you know should have counseling services that can't afford them or they have to wait too long or all those things are still very real. Well, and I think it comes Where, back to what Whereas if you had a broken arm, you know, that wouldn't be the case. <laughs> um, I think it comes back to what you were saying earlier, just about the, the burnout rate and the politics of it, because there's the funding. You know, people don't go into yeah, social man. work because we're going to become millionaires. No. There's no one walking around going, oh, I love driving this expensive car and living in this big house because I'm a social worker. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, people get into social work because they care. And so what ends up happening a lot of times is that the field is short workers because yeah. it's a high burnout rate with a low return on investment yep and so a, a lot of times you cannot find folks to be able to provide the mental health supports that people need so true so true so true because and that goes right it, it's about i mean it's about priorities right you know it almost goes back to um you know um we have to put the priority and that means adequate uh pay and benefits and you know 
help for your student debt that you have to get through, the, yeah. all the education you have to do to be a social worker. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot of, the college isn't, for to be a social worker is not easy. I'm doing it right now. I've been doing it for two years and I'm gonna continue doing it. But it is not an easy process. No. And um, if we wanna put, like, if we want to be able to, um, and eventually it will help our entire economy and our entire, oh, so entire society because, you know, that's how you heal people. That's how, you know, they become taxpayers mm -hmm. and um, things like that. So, but it's hard to get that message through sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I've tried. Like, you know me. Yeah. Like, I've tried. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm kind of burnt on it. But, um, you but know, keep I... up the good fight because it's still going on. You know, I was just on a call last night with the um, Northeast Region of School Social Workers. And so I, I'm the president of New Hampshire School Social Workers Association. Oh, oh wow. Okay. So last night, the Northeast Region, we got together just to talk about what um, are some plans from national that we can be able to implement. And a mm -hmm. lot of it is about membership retention of school social workers and promoting school social work that's awesome and so it's pretty phenomenal work that the school social yeah. workers association of america is doing and then we're actually looking to we're rolling out a book i was um after i had that meeting at seven at eight o'clock i had a meeting because i've co-authored a chapter in an upcoming school social work book that wow. national is putting out and so these are the kind of things again when you think about social workers we don't work like the regular hours you know no. i was on zoom calls from seven o'clock till after nine o'clock last night yeah, because we recognize that we've got to be able to work those off hours to get things done because yep. Families need us during off hours. Absolutely. Crises don't happen during this cute little block of time where you can schedule it. It's true. <laughs> you need to be ready to be like, okay, you need me now, I'm going to go. I think we what we should talk about now is the current time of the pandemic mm -hmm. and how, um, first, let's, with the pandemic, let's talk about, I think it's, we're talking about mental health, um, it's made that problem worse. Wouldn't oh, you? without a doubt. Yeah, you know. Um, you know, people not being able to have that human connection mm -hmm. all the time, uh, everything being on Zoom, un the unknowns, how long is this going to, I get that question. Mr. Mr. Bean, how, when is the pandemic, when is coronavirus going to go away? And it's, and, and I have to tell them like, probably not for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And so for folks who might even have had, you know, typically developing lifestyles where they didn't have any kind of mental health struggles, are experiencing mental health struggles right now because yeah. you know as much as we love the people in our lives sometimes when you spend a little extra time with them it can get to be a little bit stressful absolutely it can be you know for families who may have lost their employment because their yeah. their job couldn't survive the pandemic which is awful there's an added stress yeah. for families who can't connect with loved ones that they really need um that's a stressor mm -hmm. and so for students who use the school day as the best six and a half hours of their life mm -hmm. because they're getting two healthy meals and mm -hmm. they're having those connection with the great teachers not seeing them for months at a time mm -hmm. is really hard for families who might already be dealing with alcohol or drugs mm -hmm. or other types of addiction when things are so kind of gloom and doom it's hard yeah. to get out of that of cycle and so when you go to what you know might make you feel better whether it's a healthy system of going out for a run or an unhealthy system of pouring yourself a drink. Right. And so I think for everyone right now, there's an increased level of need for yeah. mental health support. Absolutely. And, and it's, there's just so many different things that the pandemic has, um, affected like you talked about employment and mm -hmm. that's a big one you know obviously your mental health's not gonna be okay if you just lost your job because exactly. because of coronavirus mm -hmm. and now you don't have a job and, and then potentially you won't have electricity and you won't yeah, have a house and it's you won't a trickle have a car down. oh without yeah. a doubt yeah 
And, you know, and you, let's be honest, you have a government that hasn't really been there for their people mm -hmm. during this. I mean, one check of $1,200 doesn't cut it as far no. as I'm concerned. Um, but um, so that makes, you know, it makes it, it makes it very, very difficult. Um, it also makes it difficult for things as like um, children getting their educational needs met mm -hmm. because um, they're not, they might, it's going to, might affect us that wise because they're not growing in the adequate rate that they should be. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you, you know, are, are trying to learn from home and we, we recognize that all educational institutions right now are trying to do everything to keep everyone safe. Right. And so for students who might and obviously be, you don't want people to die. That's the number right. one thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're a student who's learning from home because maybe you have a compromised immune system or someone in your household has a compromised yeah. immune system, but you're a student who really needs that teacher standing over you yep. saying try it this way do it this way there's such a difference between doing it virtually is. than there is person to and person that's why you know like i've never like never been an advocate for remote learning over face-to-face -face mm -hmm. learning like there's no comparison however i am an advocate for people not dying exactly so so um that's so we the, just have to hope that people keep masking up and yeah. doing what they need to do and hope that we can survive this next what seems like a second kind of revitalization yeah. of the yeah of it's, the pandemic and, and certainly numbers. certainly in our area it's worse than it's ever been i know when i think we've been pretty lucky here in new hampshire we and have. in new england that i think we we it wasn't too bad about the spring and the summer nope. but i don't know if it was a covid fatigue thing where maybe people just kind of were laxed on or they thought oh it's not bad here no big deal or people like um I just went through buying a house during this time mm -hmm. and there was a lot of people who moved to this area yes. from places like New York and places mm -hmm. where the virus was really bad. Yep. So they're bringing the virus with right. them. <laughs> like, yep. So, um, and you know, we need to have a um, coordinated response in order you know, from our federal government in order to have it fixed. And that's, I won't get more into that, but that's, <laughs> that, that is just. But I do think the one thing that I have to say is I think that we have phenomenal teachers who really were kind of thrown Absolutely. into this, figure out how to, what was it, March 13th? The Friday yeah. the thirteenth <laughs> yeah, was that day when we all got the call like, "Hey, we're not coming back on Monday." Yeah. So teachers were figuring it, figuring it out, and then I think another, you know, a, a high point, if you will, through this has just been the families. Like Absolutely. we are, we have asked parents to do things that was so out of their realm of expertise, and yep. so and I and difficult and oh, without a doubt, especially for families that work mm -hmm. and and have work 50, 60, 70 yeah. hours a week. And you have your kid at home, like families who have multiple kids, kids at home, yeah, and trying like, to get them online and have the internet connection and the Chromebooks, yeah. and then also answering all these questions and yeah. stuff. If nothing else, I think as New Englanders, we're super resilient, and I think that's a, a true testimony to what it means yeah. to be from here. And we have phenomenal families, phenomenal educators. Well, that's why they need that's why they need social workers during mm -hmm. this time too, because <laughs> I've learned that. Because just because schools shut down does not mean that I am not needed. I <laughs> found right. that out. And so much of what you know I had done during the spring and the summer was delivering food, delivering Chromebooks, yeah. delivering jetpacks, yeah. delivering. Um, textbooks. Jetpacks. <laughs> They're the little things that go on the Chromebooks. I know if there's anybody jetpacks. listening, they're going to be like, right. jetpacks. Yes, I know. We, we don't have jetpacks <laughs> in SAU 6, but we do have these little things that go on your Chromebook called the jetpack <laughs> to give you internet. <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is, again, that's another equity issue. You know, mm -hmm. um, if you can't afford the internet right now, yeah. then you can't, like, it's, you have to have it provided for you, right. or else you can't go to, you can't have your education, mm -hmm. which they're entitled to. Right. Yeah, so, um, I know you said you wanted to talk about homelessness. 
Yeah, so yeah. we could just kind of touch a little bit to make sure that, um, I don't know if folks recognize it, also part of my job as a school social worker is to be the McKinney-Vento Homeless Liaison. Yeah. And so McKinney-Vento is a federal law which allows for immediate enrollment for students who are experiencing homelessness. Yeah. And oftentimes people will think about homelessness as, you know, it's the guy who lives in a cardboard box under a bridge or something like that. Right. But homelessness under McKinney-Vento really is about, do you have a fixed, regular, and adequate nighttime housing? Right. And so for many of our families, it could be that they're living in a hotel or a motel. They could That's be still living... Homeless. That is still homeless <laughs> yeah. under McKinney-Vento. Yeah. And being doubled up. So in our district, one of our biggest uh, percentage populations is for families who are living doubled up. So that means, you know, you're staying with a friend or someone. And while it always, you know, kind of seems like it starts out at this gr- as a great idea, what can happen is that when you're sharing a space with someone, it kind of gets crowded, like yeah. physically crowded and emotionally crowded. Mm-hmm. And so for families who might be staying with other families, there just comes kind of that breaking point where they're like, you know what, this isn't working. I can't have you here. If you're a student who is going home at the end of the day and you don't have a bedroom to just go sit in and and shut your door and decompress or you don't have a dining room table to sit at Mm -hmm. to do your homework. Mm -hmm. So there's so many other layers of stuff that kids are bringing to school. And so I Mm -hmm. often really try to remind staff that there there might be things going on that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so we all need to be curious about our students and what their life is like outside of Mm -hmm. our school day. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And like we talked about before, if you don't have a stable life and you don't have a place to do your homework and you don't have a place to, um, you don't know if food's going to be there. And if you're going every every single day, you're on this couch and then you're at Graham's house and then you're at aunt's house and you're at friend's house. Every, and that's your, there's no stable. What that does to your brain mm-hmm. is really just crazy and and could we talk about can we talk about trauma for a second yeah because i'm a trauma nerd i i'm a a trauma dork i i'm i don't want to say i love trauma but i no, i don't love trauma but i love the science of the work yeah yeah so what is your first we'll just start with this what is your background and what do you know about so i mean obviously through school social work you know much of what we do is on trauma and i have been blessed to work with cassie ackley who is one of the trauma gurus of Mm -hmm. our area and so i work a lot with thinking about what does a trauma-informed school look like and how do we recognize what do aces and the adverse childhood experiences how do they impact a student's ability to learn how does it um impact the actual physiological development of the brain and then how can we then readjust our thinking as educators because oftentimes folks will say well why can't they just learn it's like well because they just can't yeah because their brain's been rewired their, their brain has been rewired through whether it be um neglect or abuse malnourishment um Um, a a variety of different mm -hmm outstanding factors within a child's life that is really impacting what's happening on the inside of them. Yeah, and if, you know, um, like Paige said in my previous podcast, if you're sitting in English class and your amygdala is firing, mm-hmm. you're not gonna be able to learn yeah. anything in that <laughs> class. Like that's not, that's not, that's not how, like you know, that's not how a normal brain is structured to work. And I really like, first we need to try to like figure out how to 
Because you, you can't really... Can you rewire their brain? Or can, is, 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 is there's, there's a possibility yeah. to, to support the rewiring. Because if we think about the frontal lobe, and I know right. the frontal lobe doesn't finish developing until you're 25 now. So that's kind right. of the new... So the brain science yeah, tells us, keep them alive till they're 25 and just kind of keep going on that. And so if, so there are... I think that's where resiliency comes in. Yeah. And when we think about trauma and the impact that it has and nature versus nurture... Yeah. Um, and how are we able to look at students who have just been through such horrific events, yet they can still manage to rise above them? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's always a possibility to be able to support brain functioning and the, the right. firing of the synapses. And- right. And I, I also think there's a there's a disconnect for some people who say that they they haven't been through those experience experiences and it's 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 not a knock on them they haven't been through it no. but they they it's hard for them to understand you know why is he acting like that like why well you know he's his brain's traumatized like his brain is wired differently than than yours is you know and so i think um it's another thing that we need to work on in our society to un- kind of understanding and more awareness and you know and so I think part of that, too, comes from changing the mindset behind, instead of looking at a student who might be exhibiting some behaviors yeah. um, in your classroom, instead of saying, why are you doing that? We need to say, what happened to you? Yeah, exactly. Because Acknowledge the feelings. it's really acknowledging. And we all know that behavior has meaning. Yeah. And so we need to look at it from this lens of what has happened to you and how can I help you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else that you would like to talk about? Um, I think one of the other things that whenever I talk about trauma and stuff and always bringing it back to relationships and something, that, again, that comes from Cassie Ackley is that you don't need to be a therapist to be therapeutic. Yeah. And so I always want to remind every adult in a building, whether you're a classroom teacher, a para, an administrative assistant, the bus driver, the, the gal who's in the cafeteria, if you're the maintenance worker, whatever it is, there's a pretty good chance that there's at least one student who every day is so incredibly happy to see you. And we mm-hmm. need to nurture those relationships That's and true. make sure that they recognize that we all do mean something to yeah. kids and to yeah. always, you know, not look at if, if a kid is bothering you because they want to talk to you all the time or ask you questions that we need to embrace that relationship. Absolutely. That and I find myself, even myself doing that sometimes, it's like, oh my God, my brain is like, oh my god this this kid won't be this kid will shut up but then it's like and then the other part of me is like he wants to he wants you to talk to them like that's a good thing that means you're doing your job yeah Yeah, so i I even have to remind myself just because i you know and you know it's all day (laughs) it's it's all day you know (laughs) de-escalation and and making sure everybody's just okay and chill and you know um some days it's easier than others some days it's easy some days it's it's not easy at all (laughs) some days because again you never know what's Mm -hmm. going on what they're bringing to them um when they're coming to school you don't you don't know what went on that morning you don't know what went on that night you don't know if they've had breakfast you don't know if they slept Mm -hmm. you don't know you like so there's like you said like you said there's a behavior is always a, a response to something you know it's always it's always saying it's always you got to look at it as saying okay they're acting they're acting this way why are they acting this way there's obviously something they wouldn't be acting this way if something wasn't didn't cause them to act that way so um and it's like just like like i'm a big advocate of and any problem not just social we're just getting to the root of problems yeah. and not just like looking at oh well this is happening you know why and, you know get why, well obviously there's a reason why that is happening we need to fix what caused the problem and not necessarily the problem itself 
So and oftentimes that's looked at like through like an ABC chart, like what was the antecedent of the behavior, what was yeah. the behavior, and then what was the consequence of the behavior. Yeah. So yeah, so you're on your you're on the track to being a great social worker. <laughs> <laughs> you're already doing the work and you don't even realize it. Yeah. And well, I mean, it's not just with my social work that I think about that. I think about in terms of my political activism. I think about it in terms of my coaching. You know, with football and sports and stuff. You know. People, there's a lot of critical thinking that's going on in yeah. like a sports in a football game and then like okay why why is um why aren't we why are you having trouble running the ball right now well our line's not blocking clerkly and we're not sealing this way and we you know or um and i just use football for an example because that's just my that's my expertise but um so but there's a lot of that same critical types of thinking that goes on and it's always about for me it's about getting to the root and you know okay so they don't they don't know where the holes are. We need to figure out a better way to teach them teach them where the holes are, and they we need to we need to give them um, better ways to learn formations and you know all that. So like and um, so everything's it, a teachable moment. Everything <laughs> um, the, you can apply that type of thinking to just about anything. Yeah. I think so. All right. Anything else? No, this was great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm yeah. so excited. Congratulations on this. Yeah, thank you. I can't wait to keep hearing more and more of your podcast. Yeah, yeah, You've definitely. You've had some great guests so far. What's that? You've had some great guests yeah. so far. Yeah, and I want and like I'm not just limited to like you can come on again when we we can think of more things to talk about and we can talk about stuff for hours. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You talk about Kiwanis. I could talk about all kinds of stuff. Kiwanis. Okay, I'll what's, come back what? again. We'll we'll talk about Kiwanis another time. All right, sounds we'll save good. Save that for another podcast. Sounds good. You'll definitely come. Come on again, Courtney. Awesome. I'll definitely have you on again. All right. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Of course.